0: Welcome to The Art of Selling Wine, the podcast for wine professionals and also for professional wine nerds. And today I have a very interesting conversation. It is with Bruno Baudron. He is a historian on the history of Bordeaux and uh, the Bordeaux wine market. And uh, this is in part a part translated episode. So we got support from Marine. She is working for the CIVB and not only did she translate Bruno, she also helped me uh, to get quite some of the interviews you are about to hear or you have already heard. So thanks Marine for translating and now enjoy the conversation with Bruno about a historian's perspective on the current state of wine business in Bordeaux. Welcome to the Art of Selling Wine. In this podcast, we explore the foundation of business success in the wine industry. And we also take a look at global game changers, such as changing climatic conditions, changing customer behavior and demands, emerging and fading distribution channels, and many topics alike that affect winemakers everywhere. My goal is to collect regional answers and strategies and spread the ideas worldwide. My name is Diego. I'm a wine marketing consultant specialized in the strategic brand positioning of small and medium sized family wineries. I have a background as trained winemaker in Rheingau area Germany and a degree in international wine business. This podcast is my contribution to the wine sector that I love so much. Enjoy it in the vineyards or in the cellar or while traveling as winemaker or sommelier. And don't hesitate to contact me. You are listening to The Art of Selling Wine, the podcast for wine professionals. This episode is presented to you by Wine Plus. Wine Plus is a German-based platform for wine professionals from all around the world. It is written W-E-I-N dot plus, W-E-I-N dot plus, And all the episodes of The Art of Selling Wine and my German podcast, Wine Verkauft, are available in early access for the Wine plus members. It's a free membership, so you don't have to pay, and you get two weeks early access to any episode. The Bordeaux series is also powered by Amorim Korg. Amorim Korg is partner of my German podcast, and therefore they enabled me to do this whole endeavor in Bordeaux. And if you are currently looking for a new supplier of high-quality cork, I recommend taking a look at Amorim Cork. And if you understand German, I also provide a nice German episode, I think it's number 62, with Gerd Reis. He's the CEO of the Northern European Division of Amorim Cork. And we talk about the renaissance of cork and the future of closing, closing systems for wine bottles. This whole series, the Bordeaux series, was made possible by a German company called Euramobil, Euramobil, you would pronounce it in English. They produce high-quality mobile homes and they provided me, meaning my wife and me, with a mobile home just for the trip to Bordeaux. And if you are interested in these kinds of things, I highly recommend going to The Art of Selling Wine, episodes 4, maybe 5, and taking a look at our Travel Diary. In that episode, we talk about all the funny things we got to see and uh, got to do in Bordeaux and all the accidents we had. And also I give you a brief overview about the mobile home we were in and how living and working in a mobile home actually turned out to be. Additional partner for the French series is vitisphere.com. Whenever you want to find out about what's going on in French wine business, I highly recommend visiting vitisphere. They are very helpful to our industry in France. The Bordeaux episodes were also supported by bordeaux.com. It's the website of the Bordeaux Growers Association, CIVB, and they supported me with giving me access to many, many, many of the interview partners that you are going to get to know in the following episodes. Bonjour à tous. Uh, maintenant, today, I am together with Bru- Bruno Boisdran, C'est correct? C'est correct. Oui. Okay. And uh, Bruno, he is an expert on the history of Bordeaux wine region and Bordeaux wines. So, uh, as I understand, uh, you worked a very, very long time as editor, redacteur, uh, t- t- <laughs> for, uh, for, for one uh, company that creates books about uh, the Bordeaux wine, wine region. Correct? C'est exact. And uh, as uh, we need maybe some translation. I am also very delighted to introduce Marine. She comes from the CIVB and she has been helping a lot with this podcast. So many of the interviews you hear uh, are actually uh, because of her. She introduced me to the persons and so welcome and uh, nice to have you on the show as well.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So today, um, I would like to go into the topic of the history of Bordeaux. And, uh, I, I will start with some, uh, easy questions, I would say. Um, why is it that in Bordeaux, the winemaker very rarely writes his name on the bottle, but you always have Chateau et le nom de Chateau. Pourquoi?
2: Ça reprend l'histoire des étiquettes de Bordeaux. Tant qu'il n'y a pas eu d'étiquette sur les bouteilles, l'histoire de la bouteille est tardive. C'est plutôt le XVIIIe siècle. Okay. Donc on dénommait le vin par le nom de celui qui était propriétaire, pas celui qui faisait le vin, justement.
1: So the bottles in Bordeaux are uh, quite new, if we can say. Uh, winemakers started using bottles in the 19th century, and uh, the first labours mentioned not the name of the chateau, but the name of the um, the owner of the chateau. It was not the name of the chateau.
2: It's not not the name of the winemaker. of the owner of the property
0: but uh, as when i traveled through uh, Bordeaux there are many i would say fantasy names today so this also changed again
1: so it used to be the name of the owner chateau and the name of the owner and now you can have a name of the place where the chateau is for example in france we have what we call Lieu dit, so it can be the name of the lieu dit, uh, the um, address of the of the chateau, for example.
0: These châteaux, when I travelled through uh, Bordeaux, they are very big buildings, sometimes very small buildings, and um, is it mainly for? Uh, status for attraction of uh, customers or is it also to protect the wine why why did they build these huge huge houses
2: alors ça dépend de la puissance de chacune des propriétés euh, vous avez des constructions simples et vous avez des constructions fastueuses effectivement les maisons euh, qui sont parfois des châteaux ou de très belles demeures, tout au moins, euh, c'est de l'apparat pur et simple. Ça reflétait la puissance du propriétaire au moment où la maison était construite. Euh, on peut penser à Corbin, on peut penser à bechevel qui était un, un amiral de France, duc euh, des Pernons. ces gens-là avaient besoin de démontrer leur puissance. Après…
1: So it depends on the château Most of the time, when you have a big chateau, like a castle in English, it was because the owner was rich or very famous and wealthy, so he can't, he could afford such a building. But most of the time, it's because of of money.
0: So they had, apart from being nice to to look at they had no other uses to i, I thought maybe they built these houses because uh, some 100 years before people tried to steal the wine or whatever Still the wine see
1: voler
2: ah non 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 euh, si vous voulez une anecdote pour quelqu'un qui vient de disparaître euh, la famille Barton vous connaissez Léoville barton mm. l'angoa saint Saint-Julien, une très belle propriété avec une très, très belle chartreuse. Ce n'était qu'une maison d'été. Elle ne servait que pour les partons qui venaient euh, passer l'été et rester jusqu'au vendange tout le reste de l'année. Ils vivaient à Bordeaux, donc il n'y avait pas de notion de protection. Vous avez, il faut dissocier les bâtiments d'habitation et les bâtiments pour le vin. Le Cellier, Le Chet A Bouteille, Le Chet Vinification.
1: So for example, for the Barton family, which is very famous in the Madoc area, um, when they bought uh, their first chateau, it was a house for their summer vacation. So they were staying there for summer until uh, the harvest. So it was just uh to spend some holidays sometimes together and it was not for the wine so it's different in bordeaux you can have what what you see the chateau but it's a chateau where people actually live and then you have also uh, wine buildings you know the cellar wine cellar where they make the wine. but it's two different things and most of the time you will see two buildings or several buildings yes so yeah i
0: noticed I, I noticed that okay um so uh, then uh, I already uh, had some interesting conversations about uh, Enprimeur about uh, the 1855 um, classification, but uh, I would like to um, get to know a bit more about the long history of Bordeaux. Um, since when is wine production here and how did it develop in the Times
2: a Cal Epoch? Avec les Romains ou euh, plus Le récemment Le premier vin à Bordeaux. Le premier vin à Bordeaux. Le premier vin à Bordeaux, c'est certainement 50 ans avant Jésus-Christ, euh, pour la simple et bonne raison que sur les, les vins qu'importent les Romains, quand ils arrivent à Bordeaux, nous avons des, amph- des amphores qui viennent de Rome. Et la première amphore, avec une forme particulière, Qui à cette époque-là, il la caractéristique de la signature du contenu, donc du vin bordelais, l'enfort la, d'Aquitaine. On l'a retrouvé dans des vestiges des enfoirs qui datent à peu près de 50 ans avant Jésus-Christ.
1: So the first one should be around 50 years uh, before Christ, uh, when uh, Roman people uh, arrived in, um, in the area of Bordeaux with uh, amphore. And you have um it's a specific shape uh from um, Roma. Uh, and it used to be the, the where the wine was um, was kept.
0: So as far as I remember from uh, history in school, um the Romans brought the grapes to the rest of Europe, because uh, it was actually part of the salary of the soldiers, the wine, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Okay. And uh, how did the wine growing develop? Uh, for example, we have in, in Germany, we have one variety. It's uh, Elbling, which is still considered the oldest white wine variety, uh, directly uh, de- uh, stemming from the Romans. Do you have similar, like, traits back to this
2: time? Alors, la famille des Cabernet, Cabernet franc, Cabernet sauvignon, est un cépage qui a certainement, on en a pratiquement avec les analyses aujourd'hui génétiques, ok, l'analyse des des gènes, on sait que ce cépage venait plutôt d'Espagne, de la région du Pays basque. Et il a été adapté en Gironde à ce moment-là. C'était la zone la plus au nord où on pouvait les cultiver.
1: So the Cabernet varieties, Cabernet Franc, Cabernet Sauvignon, uh, were from Spain and were imported uh, in the area of Bordeaux and it was um, uh, the place the most north, I don't know if we can say that uh, where it was planted.
0: How did the today typical uh, grape varieties come to
2: Bordeaux. question ça euh, sur les sur les variétés les, l'explosion enfin l'explosion le le premier âge fort du, du vignoble bordelais c'est le moyen âge et c'est à ce moment-là que les plus grands échanges se font entre monastères C'est essentiellement des, des échanges de, de région à région, donc on peut estimer qu'effectivement la, la grande diversité des cépages de la région date du Moyen Âge.
1: Donc, so la diversité de grape variétés que nous avons ici dans la région uh, date back from, from Middle Age.
0: Nous avons en Allemagne le um, Kloster Eberbach. Um, it's a monastery. Uh, I don't know how to <laughs> to say the name of the monks in English. Zienza. Uh, and they they run a wine business in Middle Ages that was considered the largest wine business of Europe. In today's worth, it would be, I think, two billion uh, euros per year. And uh, so I'm I'm actually very interested in the uh, wine business of Middle Ages because there were these. Huge, huge wine companies, and um, if, it would be very nice if you told us a bit about uh, not the the current state of Bordeaux, because on this podcast I have twelve hours about Bordeaux cru classé tout ça, um, but the Middle Ages. What was going on before that in Bordeaux?
2: There is, toute une période où en fait le le vignoble va se développer. Véritablement, le grand essor du vignoble de Bordeaux, ce sera à l'époque d'Aliénor d'Aquitaine. Donc, un peu plus tard, c'est le Haut Moyen-Âge, au XIIe siècle.
1: Donc, so le vignard s'est really, vraiment uh, développé Aliénor d'Aquitaine. Qu'est-ce que c'est Aliénor d'Aquitaine.
2: <rire> Aliénor d'Aquitaine était la duchesse d'Aquitaine et elle a été l'épouse euh, du roi d'Angleterre.
1: So she was the wife of the King of England.
0: Ah. Oh, you know when okay. Aquitaine now, uh, now was English. It's a name. I was before. Yes, yes. Okay. Okay. And she was a duchess
1: and she married the King of England. And she um she's quite famous in Bordeaux actually, and you have a famous battle in Castillon every summer when you can listen to the story of uh, Alienor d'Aquitaine.
2: Et ce qui a favorisé le commerce de Bordeaux, Bordeaux est 'est véritablement un vignoble de négoce. Donc on a toujours exporté les vins à Bordeaux. On a commencé avec les Romains, on a poursuivi avec les Anglais, puis avec les pays anséatiques. La Hollande, l'Allemagne, bien entendu. Donc c'est un grand vignoble d'exportation. Et ça fait partie euh, des... Donc, en fonction de la demande que Bordeaux a, mis, on a exporté les vins et on a fait les vins que les gens désiraient boire.
1: So Bordeaux has um, always exported wines. It started uh, at the very beginning, and we have a lot of de merchants, négociants, négociants, uh, in Bordeaux, and they start uh, selling the wine uh, first uh, with um, Romains. Roman. Roman, then English and then with other countries like Germany or North um, North um, Europe. Um, and uh, yes, negotis are a big part of, um, of Bordeaux.
0: So when did the uh, negotiated system start?
2: C'est, Bordeaux is une ville bourgeoise qui s'est installé avec des marchands très, très tôt. La, la production, c'est une ville d'échange. Le port, la, la deuxième grande entité de Bordeaux, c'est son port. Vers euh, le sud, un peu plus tard, vers, vers l'Afrique, mais euh, vers les États-Unis. Donc c'est un port et donc une cité de marchands, véritablement. Avec un endroit privilégié pour faire de grands vins.
1: So, wine merchants settled very early in Bordeaux, um, and it's um, a very famous uh, place for wine thanks to the river and the port uh, where negotiations started working uh, a long time ago.
0: When I went through the Bordeaux area, I asked myself why did people start wine producing in this area? So I know from Germany that uh, in the Middle Ages you often had mixed agriculture, so grapes, animals, whatever, some legumes, vegetables, plants. And uh, then people decided, okay, in this area we do wine and here we don't do wine anymore. But uh, to me it always looked a bit random actually. Why is it here and why is it not like 100 kilometers in the other direction? Why here? Why in Bordeaux?
2: Alors c'est amusant parce que la vigne a été implantée très certainement plutôt à l'époque la plus ancienne, moyen euh, moyenâgeuse plutôt sur la rive droite de Bordeaux. Donc euh, Bourg, Blaye, les premières côtes de Bordeaux euh, dans, dans leur dénomination ancienne, euh, Saint-Emilion, Castillon. Et après, tout autour de Bordeaux, Donc le vignoble de pessac ognon celui des Graves et du Sauternes et ensuite au 17e 18e dans le Médoc.
1: Okay, so the first vignards around Bordeaux in the Bordeaux area étaient on the right bank like Cote de Bourg, Cote de Blaye, that's the actual uh, names. So I have the map behind yes. you.
0: It is like straight the to the right, right from yes, Bordeaux. On yeah. the
1: right bank, you know, the um, the blue area. The pink, the pink, pink part. Pink. Yes. And then the orange along the river. So you have Bourg and Blaye. And if you go a little more on the right, you have blue and purple. It's Saint-Emilion. And then after, uh, you, they settled the Pessac-Léonien uh, vineyard. So it's in orange on the left, uh, on the left bank. Et
2: c'est une sélection au fil du temps, dans chacune de ces régions, qui a permis d'établir que, euh, en quelque sorte, ce que l'on appelle des noyaux d'élite. Un noyau d'élite, c'est l'endroit où la vigne, durant des siècles, a toujours existé. Parce que s'il y a un accident climatique, on la replante. Donc, au fur et à mesure, on a gardé effectivement ces zones très précises où la vigne donne le meilleur raisin.
1: So they started searching the best uh, places for uh, for wines and where um, grape varieties uh, were planted for many years and um they continued planting at the same place because they were um, optimal places for uh, grape varieties and specific grape varieties.
2: Oui, si on prend un exemple à la fin du 19e siècle Avec l'arrivée du phylloxéra, on va arriver à 200 000 hectares plantés en Gironde, jusqu'à Soulac, Arcachon, le Cap Ferré, le lieu vigne, parce que le phylloxéra ne vit pas dans le sable. Donc c'est aussi parfois une agriculture de conservation. Mais on peut se dire que tout a été testé, et que là où il reste de la vigne aujourd'hui c'est parce que c'est le meilleur endroit qui a été le le résultat de de tests durant des, des siècles pratiquement.
1: So, in the, in the, in the 18th century, you had, uh, vines in, uh, Sulac, which is at the very end of the S. Sulac, somewhere. Yeah, yes. we, 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 uh, now you only have, yes, trees and sand and uh, beaches, and you also had vines in Arcachon. Now, if you know Bordeaux, if you're going to Bordeaux to Arcachon from Bordeaux, you have trees, pine trees. You have beaches, you have lakes, etc. But by the time you had vines, because phylloxera was not sensitive to scent, so you could have vines in this area. But today, where you find vines, it's the best place you can have vines.
0: -hmm. How did the uh, typical Bordeaux, cuvée develop.
1: Le Bordeaux, on va dire, uh, typique, uh, comme on l'imagine, comment est-ce qu'il a été développé, créé uh, What do you call typique Bordeaux <rire> Oui, oui. Ok. Le, les, eat...
0: les, les cuvées typiques.
2: <rire> il y a,
0: euh,
2: il y a deux, deux grands mouvements à Bordeaux. Bordeaux était une place de production de vin blancs. De vin blanc moelleux, qui avait pour consommateurs passionnés la Hollande, mais aussi l'Allemagne, et aussi la France, euh, quand on faisait du du petit blanc de de comptoir. Donc, euh, et ça, ça représentait jusque dans les années 60, 1960, euh, 70%, un peu moins de 70% de la production. Avec, parmi cette production de vin blanc, Le top qui était la région de Sauterne, Sauterne et Barsac, euh, où on a eu euh, il y a les, la reconnaissance de 1855 et l'élaboration de très grands vins moelleux. Voilà pour
1: le blanc. Donc il y a deux principales vins de Bordeaux. La première est le vins blanc, jusqu'en 1960. 1960 in bordeaux you had more uh, white wines than red wines in Actually, all area or in all area yes it was between 60 and 70% of white wines
0: until 1960
1: and, yes exactly now um,
2: seulement deux régions sont spécialisées en rouge le Médoc et Saint-Émilion
1: and only Médoc and Saint-Émilion were producing and were specialized and producing only red wines by the time and um, they were producing uh, dry whites but also sweet whites and um for example Sauternes and in the Sauternes area it's the first uh, 1955 um classification it was in Sauternes they were producing very famous and uh, good sweet wines by the time. So it was the first mainstream until the 60s. The majority of wine produced in Bordeaux were white wines.
0: Yeah, but it is uh, very special that in Bordeaux, um, the winemakers consider the blend, the cuvée, the best they can produce. In many other areas, it's a single grape variety. And uh, when did this uh, develop? que les gens ont commencé
2: à Le concept de cuvée à Bordeaux, euh, je ne crois pas que ce soit la vraie signature de Bordeaux. La vraie signature de Bordeaux, c'est le grand vin d'une propriété. Euh, c'est donc, euh, en principe, on peut reprendre les critères du classement de Saint-Emilion, plus de 50% de la production de la propriété qui donne un vin d'excellence. Château Latour, Château Lafitte, Château Ozone, Château Cheval Blanc, Pétrus. C'est, ce n'est pas une cuvée. C'est l'essentiel de la production de la propriété qui donne un vin d'excellence. Et c'est très difficile. Et c'est très différent.
1: So for Bruno, um, cuvée may not be the good word, but I think in German, cuvée is not exactly as not exactly the same signification as we have in French. Because for us, a be... cuvée
0: means a blend of wines. No,
1: yes. In France, it's assemblage and cuvée in French is when, when you have several sh- um, wine in a château, we call that cuvée. For example, this château have three different cuvées, so they produce three different wines. That would so be, for we you would it's... call
0: a sortiment, for example. Ah, okay. So now, it's not, this explains yes. in a lot France, it's blend, okay. blend, uh, actually. Ah, for example, yes. you can
1: have, that was Bruno, uh, was saying, uh, for him, it's more, yes, the first wine, the first cuvée in French, uh, is, for example, I don't know, 80% Merlot and 20% Cabernet Sauvignon. And then they can have a second wine, so a second, Cuvée, which can be 50% Merlot, 20% Cabernet Sauvignon, and 30% Cabernet Franc.
0: You would also call it Cuvée if it was just single Merlot.
1: Yes, that's a Cuvée. That's a wine. French, uh, Cuvée cuvée is a wine. wine. And And for you, Cuvée in German is actually for us a blend. Yes. Yes.
0: Ah, I did not know this. You see, we learn. Every time in this podcast, we (laughs) learn.
1: It's an assemblage, in fact. And uh, uh, do you you
0: know if the word cuvée in English also means assemblage?
1: No, I think we can use it for the French word, because in English for your German cuvée, we say a blend. So it's different.
0: So you see, I did not know this actually. Yes, because I
1: was very surprised when I started working with Germany, because when I said cuvée, well, I felt that something wasn't really correct, but it's different. You don't have the same meaning.
0: Okay, so the precise meaning of cuvée is, yes. is actually a wine. the wine.
1: Yes, yes, you can have... this château produces three wines, and in French we say le château produit trois cuvées, trois vins.
0: Okay. This is very valuable information.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. maybe the question is not um, okay. Reasonable. So then my,
0: my question was um, when did the uh, the focus on assemblage start? Because in many other ar- areas the assemblage is not very important. Actually, it's the single grape wine that is important. Donc, euh, quand l'assemblage démarré?
1: Oui, c'est ça. Et pourquoi
2: Alors, euh, je pense que ce sont essentiellement des conditions climatiques. Pour, euh, à Bordeaux, quand on prend la diversité des des cépages et leur mode d'assemblage, on avait essentiellement la famille de Cabernet, les Cabernet Francs, les Cabernet Sauvignon. Le Merlot va intervenir un peu plus tard. Et on assemblait les deux parce qu'ils apportent des qualités différentes mais en même temps ils mûrissent à des moments différents et le climat était très difficile jusqu'à la fin du 19e siècle
0: Just a short interruption because I want to talk directly to you who are listening to this podcast I'm Diego, I'm the host of this podcast, obviously, what you maybe do not know is that I'm also active as wine marketing consultant for wineries, and I'm specialized in small and medium sized family wineries that try to figure out their strategic positioning. This often occurs when the winery faces a generational change. So it's ahead of them, or they just did it. And the new owners try to find their identity and the winery's identity. The other scenario where my help is often asked is when wineries change their market. So for example, from producing bulk wine to bottling wine. Strategic positioning. I can explain this best on my own podcast. So there are many of wine podcasts, mostly talking about food pairing and stuff. There's one podcast for wine professionals talking about How to make money in the wine industry. This is mine. And this is very special. So, this leads to platforms like Wine Plus. It's 230,000 members, 30,000 of them are professionals working together with me. Or Vitisphere, the main French medium for wine growing, working together with me. Or Ives, the worldwide corporation of wine research institutes, working together with me because of my strategic positioning. But this is also possible for wineries. But when I look around, most of the wineries I see, they have a me-too positioning, meaning look at me, I also do organic wine, or I also do vegan wine, or I also have a vineyard in this area, or I also produce orange wine, or what have you. So this is positioning, but it's not good. Let me tell you the story of one of my customers. It's Terra Preta Weingut. Huppert, meaning Terra Preta Winery Huppert. And so together we positioned them as the only winery that has its brand centered around the use of Terra Preta. Why is this important? Because if you check this stuff out, it has a huge community on YouTube. You can buy it in grocery stores. Uh, Television channels are reporting about it. Joe Rogan podcast is reporting about it. And no winemaker got the idea to use it as his strategic positioning. So instead of saying, yeah, I'm Organic Winery Huppert, we can say I'm Terra Preta Winery Huppert. This is good strategic positioning and I consulted them and I helped them to change their whole brand around this new identity. And the effect of it is that they now can sell their wine where no other winery is selling because they are part of the Terra Preta community from now on. And if you want to learn how strategic positioning can help you grow your business and stabilize your income, do not hesitate to contact me. I do my consulting locally because I travel the wine world a lot, but also online via Zoom or video conferences. And so just contact me and we can talk about what is possible.
1: So climate is very important in Bordeaux and it was very difficult until the end of the 19th century. Uh, Bordeaux used then to produce uh, mainly Cabernet, Cabernet Sauvignon and Cabernet Franc uh, and then uh, they started using merlot but um, they produce uh, both cabernet and Caber, uh, cabernet sauvignon sorry and cabernet franc because they don't have the same uh, maturity uh, time so it's very important in bordeaux to have different time for the harvest for example or for the ripening of the grape because of the weather
2: comme ça on n'a pas le même risque on ne risque pas tout sur un seul cépage ça permet d'avoir Deux ou trois ces pages qui ont des qualités différentes des périodes de maturité différentes et les grandes années tout arrive avec une grande qualité à maturité et on fait
1: de très grands vins. c'est like a a security if you have different grape varieties with for example early ripening and late ripening if you have um, a climate incident, for example you if you have three different grapes with three different ripening you can maybe be sure to at least have two or one um, of the grapes to be harvested um, in September or October it's mm. like a security
2: et les choses ont changé à partir du début du 20 siècle avec l'augmentation des températures, puisqu'on a gardé, on a gagné 2 degrés entre le 18e et le 19e, et on va gagner encore, nous avons déjà, et déjà, gagné 2 degrés de plus au 20e siècle. Et l'utilisation du Merlot, qui va aller croissante tout au long du 20e siècle, en fait, va trouver ses limites aujourd'hui. Mais c'est la rondeur du Merlot, L'acidité du cabernet franc et la puissance du cabernet sauvignon fait un vin qui est très équilibré dans l'élégance, ce qui est peut-être la spécificité de Bordeaux.
1: So it it changed um, with um, the temperature. We have higher temp- temperature today that we used to have, um, and uh, I think it was plus two degrees uh, between the 19 and no the 18 and the 19th century, and during the 20 20th century um it also rise up by 2 uh, degrees so it's 4 degrees in 2 um 200 years so it's a lot and um it uh, of course plays um a big role in the maturity of the of the grape varieties and in the for the roundness of the merlot or the acidity of the cabernet franc or um the power of the cabernet sauvignon for example so it's important you have all of them and it evolved during the the years
0: today bordeaux is uh, roughly 110000 hectares mm-hmm. how did it develop in size was it bigger at one time or is it, is it the biggest it is now no il y a eu 200, 000
2: hectares à la fin du 19e mais ce n'étaient pas les mêmes exploitations qu'aujourd'hui. On exploitait encore une grande partie en joual. C'est un... Vous connaissez le terme En joual, c'est J-O-U-A-2-L-E-S. Et vous aviez un rang de vigne, un, un, un inter de blé, un rang de vigne, et donc c'était beaucoup plus extensif qu'aujourd'hui. Donc, la Le grand essor du vignoble, c'est 200 000 hectares. Et d'une façon récente, on a eu 125 000 hectares à la fin du XXe siècle. Et donc, on est un peu en dessous aujourd'hui.
1: Donc, au 19e siècle, les de Bordeaux vineyards pour 200 000 uh, hectares. Mais c'était très différent de aujourd'hui. Parce for example, par exemple, wine vignoblements um, of vines and then one row of oats and one uh, row of vine etc so it was very uh, very different from today and at the end of the 20th uh, century we had 125,000 uh, hectares
0: so the area is reducing all the time but the quantity is went went bigger or stayed the same
1: uh,
0: plus
2: variable, les rendements Euh, À la fin du XIXe siècle, les rendements moyens étaient aux alentours de 20-25 hectolitres. Donc, euh, avec la la différence, parce que l'exploitation a été nettement améliorée avec le temps, euh, ce qui fait que ça pratiquement... Bordeaux vendait 2 millions d'hectolitres de vin à la fin du XIXe. On est monté jusqu'à une commercialisation de 5 millions, 6 millions d'hectolitres à la fin du 20 Et aujourd'hui, donc, on a multiplié par deux, on a divisé la surface par deux, on a multiplié les volumes par deux aussi. Mais parce qu'on a de meilleurs rendements grâce au climat qui s'est amélioré et au mode de culture.
1: So in the nineteenth century, the production was about was around twenty twenty five hectoliters per hectare. Uh, so two millions hectoliter uh, per year for production uh, at the end of the nineteenth century. At the end of the twentieth century, it was five to six million, depending on the year, of course. So um, the surface were reduced by uh, two mais uh, the production uh, is uh, twice uh, at, um, as it used to be.
0: Okay, and uh, the price development of the Bordeaux wine—how did it go up and down in the times? Hmm.
2: En fait, pas tant que ça. Ce qui est marquant dans le, euh, si on regarde le prix des vins à la fin du 19 19e siècle. Euh, uh, premier vin, enfin, un premier cru classé se vendait aux alentours de 3000 francs la barrique et un petit vin se vendait aux alentours de 400 francs la barrique. Prenons 300, il y avait un écart de 1 à 10. Euh, alors ce n'est pas pour comparer les 300 au prix du vin aujourd'hui, mais ce qui est marquant aujourd'hui, c'est que nous avons des Bordeaux, on va parler des bons Bordeaux, aux alentours de euh, 10 euros, Et que les très grands vins se vendent aux alentours de 600 euros, 700 euros, voire plus, parfois 1000, 1200, la bouteille.
1: So at the end of the 19th century, um, the price of um, premier grand cru was around uh, 3 000 francs. Uh, and uh,
0: what would that be in euros today?
1: Uh, you have to. Uh...
0: We, we... Enfin, ça
2: fait partie des choses qu'on peut difficilement comparer. It was,
1: and I think it was not the franc as we used to know, ah, but the non. ancien franc. So it's very different. And the, I think the, the oui. value is oui. not the same today. So you can compare. It's not the difference. For example, what uh, Bruno said, it was a premier, a premier cru was around three thousand uh, francs and a uh, small château was around uh, three hundred francs. So it's just to have the difference between the two châteaux. You can't you can't uh, compare to to these prices because it's very different because of euros and because of the the rate, uh, for example. Uh, but just to know the difference and today you have the same you can buy um, a grand cru classé for 600 euros a bottle and you can have a very good wine from côte de bordeaux grave or bordeaux supérieur for 10 or 15 euros for example you, you still have this um, difference
2: oui ça sont des prix à la bouteille. Et les prix que j'ai donnés pour le 19e sont les prix au tonneau, donc 900 litres. Oh,
1: okay. So the 3000 francs was for um, a barrel. It was not a bottle.
0: So it was plus so cheaper.
1: Yes, much cheaper. So 3000 uh, francs for a barrel. And uh, today you can have 600 euros for a bottle. So. As you can see, you can compare. It's not the same time, it's not the same rate and it's not the same uh, money, if I can say.
0: What were the major events that uh root the success of Bordeaux as brand?
2: Ça revient un peu, je pense qu'il y a deux vignobles, c'est une une grande puissance de son négo et, en même temps, une, un très grand volume de production, euh, avec des vins, avec une recherche toujours de, de coller au marché. Et, au-delà de cela, la, la réputation, donc euh, soutenue par de grands terroirs, bien sûr, mais aussi avec des, des, des vins, d'excellence qui sont eux aussi produits dans de grandes quantités relatives, mais euh, j'aimais bien Émile Penaud, disait qu'il était toujours facile de faire 3000 bouteilles d'un bon vin, mais qu'il était beaucoup plus compliqué d'en faire 200 ou 400 000 de même qualité.
1: Uh, so in bordeaux we have powerful negotiations um and we have high volume of um, of production uh, so it's quite easy to um to meet the, the market's demand we have great terroir uh, great wines uh, with enough volume and euh, uh, um bruno quoted i don't remember the name
2: émile péno
1: émile péno saying that it's easy to produce uh 3000 bottles of a very good wine but it's not so easy to produce uh 200000 uh, bottles from uh, equal quality
2: okay if we have uh, le vin des muller Vous avez 3000 bouteilles qui valent excessivement cher. À Lafitte, on fait 400 000 bouteilles de grands vin qui sont un peu moins chères, mais c'est la même qualité. La, la puissance de Bordeaux, elle est là. C'est de produire sous une seule marque 400 000
0: bouteilles d'un très grand vin. Donc, so high grande quantité et aussi quantity. grande quantité. Et c'est success
1: and Bordeaux succeed uh, in doing it you can uh, have the example uh, as Bruno said of uh, lafite uh, they produce um, 400000 bottles a year but with high quality and uh, they can do it and they produce high quality wines with a high volume
2: Et ce sont ces grandes marques donc de grands châteaux ou de signatures autrefois, on a un peu perdu de, de grands négociants qui affirmaient Bordeaux à travers le monde. Et c'est de, la question pour Bordeaux, c'était de, et c'est toujours, de répondre à une demande mondiale.
1: So ces great, uh, this big brands or this great châteaux. Um, were famous all around the world for the quality and quantity of wine that is produced, and uh, the great um, and Bordeaux still have uh, has a great capacity of um, meeting the market's demand from for all over the world.
0: During the time of wine production, what were the major crises that happened in Bordeaux? Il y en a eu plusieurs. Euh, alors, Je voudrais ajouter une autre question. Comment ça a été affecté, la vine-growing Comment Bordeaux, comme area, a changé cause de la crise
2: Il y a deux, deux moments. On va considérer le, la fin du 19e. La crise majeure, c'est effectivement le, le phylloxera et. Euh, Et les maladies, l'oïdium, entre autres choses, ça, ça te donne une crise majeure parce qu'on finit par manquer de vin. On est avant la création des appellations, et ce qui part de Bordeaux et qui porte le nom de Bordeaux, c'est ce... Enfin, ce qui porte le nom de Bordeaux, c'est ce qui part de Bordeaux. Donc, l'air de d'approvisionnement est certainement un peu plus large. On va chercher un, un peu à Bergerac un peu à Gaillac sur les vignobles d'Amont. donc ça c'est une crise
1: so one of the first crises could be the phylloxera uh, at the end of the 19th century and all the other diseases like uh, oïdium for example uh, because all the wine that was um shipped from bordeaux um has um, had the name of Bordeaux, but it was before the appellation, uh, the appellations were officially created. So there were no AOPs or AOCs by the time, but the wine that were shipped, uh, was named Bordeaux. And to be sure to have more wine, uh, some, um, some wine, uh, was from Bergerac, for example, or from Gaillac. So it was not the area of Bordeaux as we know now, or the Bordeaux vineyard.
0: How is this connected to and euh, comment le
1: comment ça, à quoi vous le reliez en fait à la crise du phylloxéra, c'est qu'il y avait plus assez de, de
2: la production, la production est en chute, une année sur deux, enfin même sur sur cinq ou six années, la production chute de 2 millions millions d'hecto à un million d'hecto.
1: So yes, because of the phylloxera, the production was uncertain, and you could have a good year and a bad year. So to be sure to have wine from Bordeaux, they were going a little uh, further. They were going to uh, Gaillac or to Bergerac to have wine. No ah, okay, I To face so the prices of phylloxera and to be the, sure the to are- have Bordeaux wines.
0: The area was increased because of the diseases. Yes, phyllox-
1: exactly. To have wine, yes. <laughs> OK.
0: Now now I understand. OK, so this was one crisis and...
1: yes, and the second one?
0: The second one euh sans aucun doute les les
2: gelées de 56-57. Euh il y a pratiquement 25 à 30 % du du vignoble bordelais détruit. Euh on est en pleine reconstruction après la la guerre. Et là, Bordeaux va avoir un double challenge, c'est de euh, replanter son vignoble. Et en même temps, ça sera tout à la fois une crise et une opportunité, puisque euh, cela va permettre de de remettre à niveau des des vignobles qui qui étaient peut-être un peu plus en retard par rapport à d'autres. Alors là, on est bien dans le contexte des, des AOC, Mais il faudra attendre quand même une dizaine d'années euh, avant que l'on reproduise, de, dans certaines régions, des, des vins de, de belle qualité du fait de, du gel.
1: So the second crisis, are probably the frosts of '56 uh, and '57, where 25 to 30% of the vineyards uh, were destroyed. So it was right after the war and uh Bordeaux and France were still um reconstructing. Uh, so um, there, was, uh, there were two challenges. The first one was replanting and the second was the second one uh, is actually um, also an opportunity, it was to upgrade the vineyards by the time uh, we needed to upgrade and uh, to be at the same level as uh, other vineyard, for example. Uh, but after that, uh, we had to, to wait about 10 years before um, reproducing uh, high quality wines.
0: Okay. I asked this question because going through Bordeaux and talking to many wine producers, I picked up some Topics that are relevant today and uh, these are not topics that are exclusive to bordeaux we have them in germany as well but uh, some are exclusive to bordeaux and i think um, when looking for an answer it's always a good idea to look back in history how did we deal with crisis before and what do we know what worked and what didn't work and so i would like his, uh opinion on some of the topics that i will bring up now montre de rouge.
2: alors je rajouterai une troisième crise
0: euh, ok we, let's go to the, une troisième crise parce
2: the que crisis. Que nature économique euh, et c'est celle des années 70 1970 où on a euh, on parlait de prix tout à l'heure, on a un yo-yo phénoménal sur le prix des vins, il y a une spéculation sur le vin de Bordeaux qui va amener une une désaffection de de la clientèle qui est un peu peu perdue, et il va y avoir un effondrement. Et Bordeaux remettra quand même 10 ans, mettra aussi la 10 ans, pour se remettre de cette crise de confiance sur la valeur des vins. Mais ce sera aussi une opportunité où on aura ensuite une communication plus, plus sereine euh, mais qui va amener un grand changement au niveau de la qualité des vins. On va s'orienter uniquement vers des vins de propriété et c'est là où vont disparaître les vins de, les grandes marques des vins de négoce bordelais que pouvaient être à l'époque les Crus les calvés, les, 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 les. vins de les 20 marques vont disparaître.
1: So, a third crisis, um, Bruno just uh, thought about, uh, was in the 70s, 1970, uh, with up and down prices and um, Bordeaux lost uh, a lot of consumers because of uh, those up and down. Um, so, sales significant, significantly reduced and it took about 10 years to get better but it was a good thing uh, because it also forced bordeaux to um, evolve uh, to have a better communication and uh, there was also a big change uh, regarding uh, wines with uh, more uh, property wines than the chateau and less brands like uh, crus for example or Echner, an... uh...
2: Ou d'autres encore, enfin, je pense à, à cela, puisque nous êtes tellement
1: mais... Donc Bordeaux a commencé à faire plus sur château que le
2: L'exemple okay. typique, dans les années 60, on vendait, il y avait grosso modo, 4000 marques de château 4000 noms de château Et dans les années 95-96, on est monté jusqu'à 16 000 marques
1: commercialisées. Ok, donc so 4 000 uh, différentes brands dans the.
2: Pour the property.
1: En quelle année Pardon, c'était. En
2: 1960, fin des années 60.
1: Ok, à la fin des années 600, vous aviez environ 4 000 différentes brands uh in in Bordeaux wine brands and uh in the 90s so around 95 uh, you had sixty thousand different brand names so it was huge
0: so many more people started their own winery more winery
2: and more um is a memo direct
1: they started hmm. to sold their wine and not uh, um, selling their wine with. Ah, emotions. so we
0: from from bulk they went to direct. Yes, exactly, okay. exactly. Okay, okay. so uh, this is interesting. So um, yeah, I as I learned, the, the Bordeaux is in constant change, and this is true for the wine industry everywhere. And uh, by no means I uh, ask these question to uh, to bring up the. To paint a picture of everything is bad in Bordeaux but this is a business podcast and we don't people do not talk about when things are nice so uh, we talk about what problems do we have and we have similar problems all around the world in our wine regions we have climate change we have the structural change of the wine industry so more and more bigger companies less and less smaller companies like these are This is an evergreen topic everywhere and uh, so uh, with his historical perspective I would like to have some opinions on what is going on right now, right here. One winemaker told me from from, uh, Entre-de-Mer that they are discussing to have uh, an Entre-de-Mer Rouge wine style introduced. Is this a good idea?
2: Ça a toujours été un débat à Bordeaux. Euh, quand on aime, euh, si vous voulez, vous avez deux grandes options en l'occurrence, euh, je pense en France. Il y a l'hypothèse de la Champagne. Vous avez une seule appellation pour une grande région mythique. À Bordeaux, les gens ont toujours été attachés, en fait, aux petits port d'embarquement qui figuraient sur la Garonne ou sur la Gironde. C'est l'histoire de Pauillac, c'est l'histoire de Saint-Julien, c'est l'histoire de Margaux, euh, c'est l'histoire de Saint-Emilion qui se différencie de Castillon-la-Bataille. Et historiquement, cette région de lentre deux mer c'est une région vin blanc. On y faisait du vin blanc moelleux jusque dans les années 70. après Toute la question est là, et je crois qu'il faut garder des appellations vivantes. Nous y faisons depuis les années 90, c'est-à-dire depuis plus de 30 ans, des vins rouges de côte, excellents. Pourquoi pas une appellation entre deux mers rouges en 2021, 22, 23. Mais il y a aussi une initiative dans le Médoc qui revendique des Médocs blancs parce qu'il y a toujours eu une petite production autour de Listrac et aujourd'hui il y a une réflexion pour avoir du Médoc blanc.
1: So the entre de mer rouge, so red entre de mer is an open has been an open debate for many years now. Uh, and Beno took the example of champagne in champagne it's quite simple you have one appellation for a wine region and in Bordeaux uh, people have always been uh, really uh, linked to their uh, port at the beginning. So you had uh, Puyac for example. You had Margot, You had Saint Emilion. So it's important for people to have those areas. And then now AOPs. And uh, in Entre De Mer, historically, um, until the 70s, they were producing sweet whites. So it's a white region, if we can say. Uh, but, uh, appellation, AOPs uh, need to live. They need to evolve and they need to live. Uh, and red is uh, produced in the has been produced in the region for many years now. Uh, under other appellations, for example, Cote or Bordeaux, Bordeaux Superieur. So uh, why not an uh, Entre de mer Rouge? And you have the same reflection in Medoc, where they are producing more and more uh, white wines. So why not uh, Medoc Blanc?
0: Yeah, sure, um, but when I as consumer here entre de mer, I know Rouge, Sauvignon Blanc, Semillon. This is brand. And if they now start Entre de Mer Rouge, this this uh makes the brand this softens the brand actually. I don't know if this is a good idea because you can produce Bordeaux Superie. You just cannot say uh Bordeaux red entre Deux mers, this is what you cannot say, you can't produce the wine there. So is it a good idea to have this as an appellation?
2: Toute la question est de savoir si nous allons un peu trop vite à notre époque. A titre personnel, je serais tenté de dire Very
0: personal, his, his opinion. Yeah. Yes,
2: my, my opinion. Et je crois qu'il aurait mieux valu donner le titre de côte de Bordeaux à cette région de l'Entre-deux-Mers pour faire un grand vin rouge. Parce que c'est une région de côte. Et donc, vous aviez cette vision dans les années 30 où on divisait Bordeaux en cinq grandes zones. Le Médoc, les côtes, les Graves, Le Saint-Émilionnet et le Sauterné. cette vision simple pouvait s'expliquer par la géographie.
1: So, are we going too fast today? That's what uh, Bruno asked. Uh, he, think that, uh, he thinks that we should have uh, given the cote uh, AOC to Entre-de-Mer-Rouge. Instead of Entre-de-Mer-Rouge, it should be uh, Cote de Bordeaux. This appellation already exists, you know, because it's a great place for red wines. And uh, you would
0: just increase the area for this appellation. Yes, of Côte de Bordeaux.
1: Instead of Entre-de-Mer-Rouge. It's it,
2: really a region of Côte. You go? Yeah. You see. Aubenoge. Some hills. It's that...
0: Is this still an option today to do this? No, it doesn't seem so.
1: It's his personal it's opinion. opinion. You ask for personal yes. opinion; yeah, yeah, it's, but, a, uh, it's a personal opinion. opinion.
0: <laughs> I, I, I like to have the discussion also on this podcast, and maybe if it is if it is politically possible and also it makes more sense, why not talk about it? It's crois complicated. I pas enfin, je,
2: je, je C'est compliqué, c'est toujours une histoire de... Tout le vignoble est une histoire Euh, d'hommes. C'est la même différence qu'entre Pauillac et Saint-Julien. Pourquoi nous avons deux appellations Parce que nous avions deux ports d'embarquement. Nous avions le port de Pauillac et nous avons le port de Saint-Julien. Et deux communes. C'est toute l'histoire du du vin de Qu'est-ce qui différencie Léoville Lascaz de Château-Latour, un ruisseau qui passe entre les deux Et après, ce sont des groupes d'hommes qui prennent des décisions entre eux. C'est très difficile d'avoir la gestion euh, des, des entités euh, viticoles.
1: So it's very complicated. Um, the vineyard uh, has a strong history with his men and uh, with with its men and uh, and women uh, and it's like uh, two chateaux for example uh, why do you why do you have two different chateaux uh, because sometimes you just have a river or small very small river between two chateaux so you have two different um estates and you can have two different appellations. if you take for example entre de mer and uh Côte de Bourg, for example, you just have a river, you have the Dordogne River. So uh, men and women are a key element in these decisions.
0: Would it be possible to have a um, white wine AOC overlapping a red wine AOC on the same area so that people can choose I do Entre de White or Côte de. Uh, uh, cote uh, yes, bordeaux. Bordeaux,
1: can... area it uh,
2: grave dans les graves just in the south of bordeaux grave rouge grave blanc grave supérieur grave supérieur est un vin blanc moelleux. vous avez trois mêmes
1: and actually, you have like a pyramid system in Bordeaux, where you have the generic appellation, Bordeaux and Bordeaux Superior. They are produced everywhere in Gironde, So you can be in Saint-Emilion and also produce a Bordeaux blanc or Crément. You can be in Medoc, in the Grave. Then you have um, other appellations like Grave. They are produced only in the Grave area. area, the Code de Bordeaux, Côte de Blaille. And then you have local appellations uh which have the name of uh the city or the village. So you have leonien Saint Emilion, Margaux, etc. So you can already produce different appellation on the same estate uh and with different uh, parcels for example. Is it clear for you? It's complicated. 95% clear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've,
0: had the, I've had the conversation um uh it's more confusing to me because I I uh in my mind, I don't have the map of Bordeaux ready, so I, uh, okay. I kind of understand what you try to tell, I cannot visualize it.
1: But for example, yeah, if you, you are but the, the, the
0: example is… Uh, I understand the example. But if
1: you are in Saint-Emilion, the château can produce Saint-Emilion, Saint-Emilion Grand Cru, for example, two cuvées, <laughs> two different wines, and they can also produce Crémant de Bordeaux. You know, it's different uh, grapes, uh, varieties and different parcels and they can also produce, uh, for example, uh, Bordeaux Blanc. Mm.
0: Yeah, so I'm I'm just thinking, would it be a better idea to have, not Entre-de-Mer Rouge, but to have some other appellation that is known for red wine, extended in this area for red wine? Because Entre-de-Mer is very strong for white wine.
2: Moi, je ne suis pas certain, euh, J'ai pas les dernières études de, de cette grande maison du CIVB, mais euh, une étude m'avait marqué à la fin des années 90, pour le consommateur, il y avait Bordeaux, Médoc, Saint-Emilion, en termes de notoriété. Et venait tout de suite après Des noms de propriétés et certaines appellations étaient donc entre deux mers étaient bien derrière ces grandes propriétés. Les noms très connus de euh, Cheval Blanc, euh, La Tour, La Ce que je veux dire par là, c'est que euh, si il y a une dynamique en entre deux mers. Euh, Il y a autant de raisons de, de, d'être conservateur pour la figer autour des vins blancs que de favoriser l'émergence d'une nouvelle appellation en rouge. Je, enfin, je le répète, pour moi c'est une dynamique humaine, C'est pas une dynamique où on se rapproche trop. Il n'y a, a pas d'absolutisme du terroir. De... Alors on fait de grand vin rouge, effectivement, entre les mains.
1: So uh, Bordeaux was very surprised because a few years ago a study uh, showed that uh, Bordeaux was the most known brand uh, actually appellation in Bordeaux then you had Médoc and Saint-Émilion and then it was not appellations or area but it was name of château uh, for example château cheval blanc etc. so when you asked people uh, do you know bordeaux wines uh, they would have tell you uh, yes i know bordeaux i know médoc santemillon i know cheval blanc i know château uh, blah 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 and uh, other appellations like uh, entre-de-mer were very uh, far behind uh, in the list so um once again, Bruno think, uh, thinks it's um, it's a human uh, human decision and it can be on both sides. You can have the Entre-de-Mer Rouge uh, appellation or you can uh, choose not to have uh, the red appellation and stick with the white appellation and find another one. But it depends on people, actually.
0: Okay, so uh, in my mind, Entre-de-Mer was... Very well known for being a white area, but as you say, it's not not that important actually in brand recognition. Yes. So then, of course, it's it's. I mean, uh, it's yes, it is more a discussion for the people who live there actually, and it's their problem. I want to go to the next topic, and that is a very interesting one. Um, I talked to some producers who produce bulk wine and uh, who's or who sell their grapes, and they say uh, they have price problems. It's, they can, they do not earn money and so uh, they have the opinion that you should reduce grape area and that you should reduce the area of Bordeaux to lower the prices. And on the other side you have people, I guess the négociants, saying no, 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 it's a marketing problem. We have to market better and when we market and export more and we have reduced our areas, we cannot fulfill the demand and this will be no good but uh, this seems to be an ongoing discussion about shall we leave the space the same and what do we do with the low price wine what is his opinion on that hmm. c'est un vaste
2: débat a Je... toujours été l'histoire de bordeaux il y a un monde du, du négoce qui a un besoin et il y a des viticulteurs qui Qui aimerait mieux voir valoriser leur production euh, Je crois qu'aujourd'hui, le viticulteur qui veut voir sa production valorisée à sa juste valeur, ou tout au moins celle à laquelle il aspire, euh, il faut qu'il apprenne tous les métiers et qu'il devienne à son tour marchand. C'est la meilleure solution. C'est pas une question de a pas trop de quantité. Je pense que Bordeaux fait une formidable mutation en termes de production vers une, une production beaucoup plus beaucoup plus verte, beaucoup plus bio. Euh, donc, ce qui veut dire aussi un peu moins de production sur la même surface. C'est pas ça la question. La question, c'était véritablement, euh, c'est de défendre sa marque. Et, et on comprend que. Euh, 200 négociants ne puissent pas défendre 17 000
1: marques. So wine merchants have needs and winemakers uh, want uh, to upgrade uh, the value of their um, of their ri- of their wines. Uh, so the best solution um, according to Bruno could be uh, for them so the wine makers uh, to become merchants. Not really become merchants, but to specialize in sales, to be able to understand how it really works and to sell their wines. Because for him, uh, we have enough wines, not too much, but enough uh, wine. And, um, it's important to understand that 200, uh, in Bordeaux, uh, can't, uh, sell uh, the wine of uh, 17,000 different uh, châteaux or brands.
0: So there's a big problem with winemakers not being able to sell themselves. Do I understand this right?
2: But Par- c'est, c'est partiel. J'occulte le. Il y a le problème du prix du vrac, c'est-à-dire les vins qui sont vendus aux négociants en vrac. Et ça, les coopérateurs, la, la coopération, je sens son, son rôle, et ça c'est autre chose. Mais le viticulteur qui veut défendre son vin, donc qui produit sous son nom de château, s'il veut véritablement améliorer son image, c'est à lui de le faire, personne ne le fera pour lui.
1: So, you have actually two issues. Uh, the prices, first, the uh, bulk, bulk wine um, sold to wine merchant, uh, the price of the wine uh, sold to, to wine merchant. And the second issue is that the producers are the best ambassadors uh, for their wines. And today, who didn't uh, tell it but uh, today uh, i think consumers and even uh professionals wants to see who produces the wine who is behind the bottle uh who is the real person and i think that's really the mm, the key, uh, the key point for winemakers, and I know they can be very good with uh, with this. Uh, wine merchants are more like a brand or a big structure. Uh, you don't have uh, much of the time with the human side, even if most of the wine merchants are um, have very good uh, ambassadors also. But I think the producer themselves are the best ambassadors for their wines, so they can mm. sell their wines.
0: So this is. Uh... Now we do the turn to my opening question. Why don't they put their names on the bottle? Why do they, if they are the winemaker and they are the best ambassador for their wine, why not sell yourself? I mean, I, I, uh, I am a marketing consultant for winemakers in Germany. And uh, for us, it's totally unusual to not have the winemaker on the bottle. We, we have it too often. People who cannot market themselves still want to sign every bottle. So, this can become a problem, but here I see it the other way around. People are too anonymous. They are extremely skilled winemakers, they are nice people, and nobody knows them, right? So, uh, this is why I started the conversation like this. Okay, but uh, I I would agree, Uh, direct sales for the wine company is crucial, and it's never been easier in times of internet everybody can start selling um, okay so next topic um, the I, I talked to one winemaker who said uh, five years ago the assemblage wines were, were 95% of his sales today they are 65% of his sales and the single grape varieties went up so he sells pure Malbec pure Petit Bordeaux, pure uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, pure Cabernet Franc. Uh, This is a topic, and how should Bordeaux in general behave? Because this will change the image of Bordeaux totally, if they all start selling single grape.
1: Is this a Bordeaux study for Bordeaux wines or for French wines or wines from all over the world? The study?
0: No study. It was a winemaker who told me he sells. Ah, so for his easier. wine. Yes, his his merchants demand single grape. They they don't want uh, his uh, appellation. They want his merlot.
1: Okay, so it's the demand, not the production. Yes. Oh, okay. okay. Sorry. Donc c'est la demande qui... En fait, la demande a évolué il y a quelques années, c'était à peu près 95% jusqu'à il y a 5 ans de vin d'assemblage, et aujourd'hui c'est 70%, donc il y a une part de 30% où on va plutôt capitaliser sur le cépage que sur l'appellation.
2: Oui, de toutes les façons, on revient... C'est ce qui, c'est ce qui est amusant. Dans, dans les années 60, de la même façon que Bordeaux était essentiellement un vignoble blanc, on produisait encore à Bordeaux à peu près quelque chose comme 30% de vins de table. sur la production totale. Et euh, ces vins de table, c'était des n'étaient pas qualifiés en vins de cépage, mais on le voit de plus en plus dans les propriétés. Il y a le vin d'AOC, et à côté, on fait des vins de France, des vins du de pays d'Aquitaine, et on ou même en AOC, parfois, comme c'est autorisé, on fait des monocépages. Le cépage peut être, sous certaines conditions, inscrits sur la, sur la bouteille. Donc, euh, je pense que ce n'est pas l'identité de Bordeaux. Pour moi, Bordeaux, ça reste l'assemblage qui est nécessaire pour obtenir l'élégance. Mais après, tous les goûts sont la nature. Quand on a le consommateur, autant faire le vin qui... Je découvrir. Ça peut être un joli test.
1: So, in the 60s, like, um, like the majority of um, wine were um, white wines, uh, you had about 30% of the total production of wine in Bordeaux that was vin de table. Uh So today you have more and more uh, single varieties wine. Uh, it can be the second wine of the chateau. Most of the time it can be in vin de France, uh, or you can also have an AOP when it is um, authorized to produce single uh, varieties. Uh, for Bruno, it's not the identity of Bordeaux. Bordeaux is about blend. It's the specificity of Bordeaux, and it brings elegance to uh, to Bordeaux wines but if it's what the consumer wants uh, we need to adapt and it can be a good idea for him
0: Yes yeah, so uh, that's what why I asked if we adapt in Bordeaux we lose our identity but we earn money
1: En fait il dit que si on s'adapte finalement on perd son identité mais on gagne de l'argent Can I answer <laughs> <I'm sure. laughs> I think we don't lose uh, our identity. I say we, oui, um, because I work for the Bordeaux wines. But actually, most of the time, those modern reds, because it's not the um, traditional reds of Bordeaux with blending and uh, oak, um, oak trees for you know.
0: So you, it was not just in our conversation in Bordeaux. They are called modern reds. Yes. Ah, okay. we talk
1: about modern reds because in Bordeaux. You started talking about blend. What is a cuvée? What is blend, etc. So in Bordeaux, so Bordeaux is well known.
0: Um, uh, yes, because in Bordeaux, we, is, we, yes. Okay. Okay,
1: Com- okay. Yes, we used to produce uh, blending in Bordeaux, yeah. uh, but today you have more and more um, single uh, varieties wines, and those wines uh, complement the range of more traditional wines. So it's you have the first wine of the chateau. Most of the time, it's a traditional cuvée, uh, and then you can have other wines, other cuvées, uh, which can be different. For example, the first chateau, the first wine can be oaky, the second one can be non oaky, and then you can have also um different uh, different wines that complement the range. So for me, you don't lose your identity. You add other wine wines to your range. You know and so you can meet also other um, the demand of other customers maybe new customers young customers because when you don't know wine maybe it's easier to start with a single variety wines and then uh, you can start testing other wines and maybe a blend uh, a blend of Bordeaux
2: J'ajouterai deux choses je crois que cette démarche est effectivement efficace au niveau commercial pour garder. Le, le chemin vis-à-vis du client et que la deuxième chose là nous sommes un peu trop pressés pour juger d'une tendance à peine affirmée sur quelques dizaines d'années au regard de l'évolution de quelques siècles de.
1: So it's a good idea for Bruno uh, if it meets the demands, but it's it may be too early to say it's a trend and that Bordeaux is actually changing uh, and replacing uh, its uh, traditional cuvée by single varieties cuvée. It's maybe too early uh, to say that.
0: Yeah, I uh, just I have uh, quality interviews, so <laughs> I talk to to single persons. Not uh, I don't have. I don't know how it is in general, um, but I think the demand is worldwide going in this direction. Um, But uh, I also I like the idea very much uh, that you propose to have your uh, Grand Vin, maybe also the second vin, uh, vin as assemblage if you want, mono-assemblage if you want, and then have the single varieties in another range below that. Um, So uh, one wine project I'm... uh, concerned with in Germany. We do it exactly this way and it's very untypical for Germany, but I like the idea very much to have the great wine, whatever it is, you as winemaker decide, is it your vineyard, is it an assemblage, is it whatever, and then you have uh, the single grapes, because it's interesting to show how they are, how they are themselves. So for example, I was uh, very uh, lucky to try a pure Petit Verdot, which is rare. Mm. Et c'est intéressant. Really c'est vraiment intéressant.
2: Oui, c'est intéressant quand il est mûr, euh, ce qui est de plus en plus fréquent à notre époque, ce qui était rare autrefois. Euh, et on le fait sur ces millésimes-là. C'est justement, moi je pense que c'est... Je connais pas mal de propriétés à Bordeaux. On fait des gammes, mais les monocépages restent une toute petite quantité Sur, euh, mmh. sur la propriété. Mmh.
1: So petit verdot can be a single variety wines uh, with a petit verdot can be very interesting when the petit verdot is uh, well ripened. You know when you don't harvest too too fast or when it's not uh, ready yet. Uh, and I'm sorry, I forgot what you said <laughs> at Et the
2: c- end. Ce que je disais, c'est que ça représente. C'était bien d'avoir une gamme dans une propriété indispensable. Mais que les monocépages restaient une
1: toute petite quantité. Oui. Yes, it's good to have um, uh, a range, you know, a range of wine when you are chateau today. Not to have just one wine, but to have a range of wine because you can, um, you can.
0: Uh, meet all the. Mass. Yes, exactly.
1: Yes. I'm sorry, I can't find my words. Uh, but uh, not too much, also. Yeah. think of a variety are intre- ah, interesting but not too much
0: yeah in, in Germany uh, many wine, wineries have uh, quality pyramid <laughs> and in every range they have 20 wines oh. so it's huge you have <laughs> for example you, you come to a winery and they have 80 wines to offer and you're like That's oh my gosh, <laughs> yes. how, how shall yeah and it's a big problem and people are you don't they, know what they, they, choose. Don't, they don't want to eliminate because they say I need this for one customer I need this for one customer and I'm like yes, but it's complicated. Okay, um, then I want uh, to go into uh, two more topics and then we can finish this. Mm, So uh, there was this uh, big uh, news article about the use of copper in vineyards and it had an impact (laughs) everywhere all around the world on Bordeaux wines. Uh, I was selling Bordeaux wines in uh, Munich at the time and uh, we talked about nothing else. So I think a lot has changed, or uh, this has started uh, an image change in Bordeaux. And uh, we see this in Pomerol, they uh, eliminate the herbicides and they start talking about doing it. This is uh, There's always two things, what you do and what you talk about. Um, but at the same time, when you have more and more and more people going organic, which is also the case, I think, the use of copper will naturally go up. What's your opinion on this? How should uh, Bordeaux as a region uh, face this topic?
2: Alors, par rapport au bois, euh, on a abandonné de loin les, les époques euh, les époques Robert Parker euh, et sur donc on utilise d'une façon générale moins de bois et sur l'utilisation des copeaux.
1: C'était copper, c'est le cuivre.
2: Ah, le cuivre. Oui, ah. l'utilisation
1: du cuivre et le fait qu'on a plus ah. de, de propriétés en bio, forcément, ça impacte aussi le, le cuivre. Le danger du
2: cuivre. Oh. Euh, <rire> autre question. Moi, je ne pas, j'étais sur les copeaux. Oui. <rire> euh, sur le cuivre, alors... Hmm euh, un vrai problème, si l'Europe ne <rire> reconnaît pas en bio le cuivre, euh, effectivement, le traitement au cuivre, on en utilise pour le bio, c'est vrai, mais on commence à trouver des produits de substitution. C'est-à-dire, ce qui me paraît intéressant dans notre époque, c'est qu'on n'a plus... Il ne s'agit pas d'avoir une démarche, ce que je ressens, moi, sur le le travail que je suis en train de faire, euh, il s'agit moins d'avoir une démarche affirmée en bio, donc effectivement organique, c'est pour ça que, oui, il évoquait les organiques, voire biodynamique, alors là, je n'ai aucune idée de la façon de ça se traduit. Il
1: est euh,
2: Mais que l'on soit dans une démarche, que l'on rentre dans une démarche agroécologique, c'est-à-dire que on commence à revenir vers un travail du sol pour éviter, enfin, pas revenir à un travail du sol, mais à respecter, avoir un sol vivant, par pour éviter d'avoir de nombreuses maladies. Donc il n'est pas dit que demain, le fait d'être dans une démarche agroécologique implique une plus grande utilisation du cuivre, On peut même espérer qu'elle baisse.
1: Donc so pour Bruno, il y a alternatives to uh, to copper uh, for him uh, a sustainable approach is in, is important more than uh, organic or biodynamic certification uh, further than that a sustainable approach is really important because for him a living soil um limits uh, diseases and for him uh, in the years to come uh, he thinks that copper will be less used and that uh, there will be more alternative uh, products or alternative solutions uh, to face uh, climate change, for example, and to have a living soils.
0: I will talk to, uh, and now I need your help for her name, Agnes Agnes. 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 Agnes Irwin-Listrak. Yes. Yes. Uh, she's a researcher and she um, mm-hmm she will uh, introduce me to the idea of bringing new varieties to this area. And I talked to some winemakers about this and they say, yeah, we are interested in Alberino in Turriga Nacional. And so these might also be answers to changing climate. Um, but another way to go for this would also be the fungal resistance uh, varieties. Uh, do you consider this um, option that will be important in Bordeaux and what do you think about the new varieties je crois pas je qu'il y ait
2: une option à Bordeaux qui soit choisie euh, moi j'entends parler beaucoup de, d'agroforesterie de produits de traitement euh, à base d'algues à base de, d'huiles essentielles euh, donc euh, bien sûr avoir quelques cépages résistants, on va les tester. Je pense que les viticulteurs vont, vont les tester. Je, historien, je ne suis pas forcément le plus placé, mais euh, oui, ils vont les tester. Mais je ne pense pas qu'on puisse aujourd'hui se dire que on a une solution à un problème. Il y a beaucoup de solutions. On est sur une plante pérenne. Le travail des viticulteurs est quelque chose de, de compliqué pour moi. Et je crois que Il faut qu'ils soient prudents dans leur euh, dans leur démarche. Il y a plein de solutions par le permaculture. enfin, Tous les viticulteurs que je rencontre vraiment sont des, des gens qui réfléchissent et qui gardent pas une seule une seule optique.
1: So for Bruno there's no one one option uh, in Bordeaux there are uh, several solutions uh, he um, heard about agro for, agroforestry agro products etc uh, so yeah yes it may be interesting to test some uh, resistant varieties uh, but we have to take time and to think about also other options um and maybe uh, think larger
0: Yeah, I think I have nothing to comment on and the last topic uh, I'm not sure about, uh, if it's a big topic here, I know it is in Germany, um, the lack of people who can work in the wine industry. Is it a topic here also?
1: Yes well uh, qualified uh, people to yes. work in the vines but i don't know if uh, bruno is uh, the best uh, he is an historian so i'm not sure it's it's uh, well, was topic. there a
0: situation like this before for uh, for example in germany we um, we are beginning to negotiate new treaties with other countries mm-hmm. that uh, for people to come in without visa for example and uh, maybe there was a comparable situation before this is why i try to uh, Bring up those questions Yes
1: Bordeaux I have been working on the subject for many years now and I know that we have specific uh, documents for foreign workers for example during the harvest so it's in different language we have people from Spain from Portugal from uh, mm-hmm. other countries. Mm-hmm yes bulgaria so they have specific documentation where they have uh, names of doctors of restaurant of schools for children of uh, childcare etc uh, so when they come in bordeaux they have all the information uh, they have um, also a list to find places uh, uh, you know to find a place to live or to eat etc so it's important and uh, you have also a lot of um, School or not really school, but um, you can uh, join some uh, trainings. For example, in uh, some chateau, or uh, you can uh, be, uh, for example, you can work in a, in a chateau as a communication assistant, whatever. Uh, and you can start a trainee for. Uh, you can start as a trainee to uh, learn how to drive a tractor. For example, you have more and more initiative. It's not really about funding new people but maybe also train the people you have in your uh, estate so they can uh, also maybe uh, you can face the lack of uh, of workers when you did. I don't know if I'm very clear. Yeah, but we have bien. yes, we have a lot of initiative in this sense.
2: Regarde l'histoire ce que l'on peut dire c'est que Dans les années 1980, un viticulteur était encore un, un paysan, et ce n'est pas péjoratif dans mon esprit, mais, mais c'était non, quelqu'un qui... <rire> et aujourd'hui, il faut qu'il soit tout à la fois. Donc qu'il ait les compétences de la propriété, d'être commercial, donc les connaissances dans le business, il faut qu'il connaisse la législation, euh, qu'il soit un manager pour ses employés euh, et que dans le même temps, euh, il ait des connaissances en œnologie assez pointues pour comprendre ce qu'on, ce qu'on lui demande au niveau technique et ce exige le matériel qu'il, qu'il utilise. Oui. Et, euh, et c'est peut-être ce, ce, ce verrou là, Bordeaux a la chance quand même d'avoir de nombreuses écoles d'enseignement Sur tous ces domaines de l'onologie, enfin de la viticulture, en passant par l'onologie, et sur toutes les strates, que ce soit les lycées viticoles, les écoles d'ingénieurs agronomes, les écoles de les écoles de de cage wine business. Euh, c'est, c'est, c'est assez fantastique.
1: So, until the 90s, uh, in Bordeaux, winemaker was un paysan. So he was uh, working the, the soil. Uh, and today, when you are a winemaker, you are actually also a sales manager, export manager. You have to manage people, you have to be in the vine, in the cellar. Uh, so you have to do a lot of things so yes it can be maybe um, more complicated more complicated that uh, that it used to be but we are very lucky because in Bordeaux we have a lot of schools uh, for um, every for everyone for young people or for people of 30 40 50 years years old who want to learn another um, who have to to have other skills so uh you can uh... yes, we are very lucky in Bordeaux. Yes. Yeah.
2: We can learn everything on the wine.
1: Yes, <laughs> from viticulture to enology to communication to sales to marketing. Uh, yes, we have a lot of. Uh, of you can also
0: just hire me and learn about wine podcasting. Very new thing. <laughs> okay, and uh, now to finish this, uh, I would like to do a thought experiment uh, scenario. Mm-hmm. Imagine he lives very long and 100 years from now he has to write a historical docu- document about the first quarter of this century about Bordeaux. What would he write?
1: Alors en fait, on est 100 ans en, a, en avant mm. et euh, vous devez écrire un livre sur l'histoire de Bordeaux et sur le, les premières 25 années là de ce siècle. Donc 2000 à 2025. Qu'est-ce que vous écririez Qu'est-ce que vous écririez donc avec les 100 ans de recul.
2: Je pense que euh, j'écrirais que ça a été une période clé que en pratiquement 25 ans, peut-être un peu plus, 30, Bordeaux va su passer d'un, d'un vignoble euh, en viticulture conventionnelle vers une agriculture... Euh, une agroécologie. Je pense que ce sera la première caractéristique et que la deuxième caractéristique, Bordeaux, pour ses grands vins, va se garder justement l'élégance et sa signature.
1: So um, by the time <laughs> in one uh, hundred uh, years uh, he thinks that uh, in the twenty five to thirty uh, first years of the twenty first century uh, Bordeaux would uh, have evolved uh, into sustainable vineyard. For him it's um it's clear and uh, the second point is that uh, Bordeaux would have um, kept his elegant and great wines.
0: Chapeau. Pour les gens qui veulent vous rechercher, où peuvent-ils vous trouver Comment peuvent-ils être en contact
1: Si les gens veulent vous contacter ou trouver des informations sur vous, comment est-ce qu'ils peuvent des faire Des informations sur moi,
2: ils tapent mon nom sur le net. Vous pouvez
0: aller sur Google. Est-ce qu'il y a un bon moyen de vous rechercher si quelqu'un veut m'écrire topics, euh, oui.
2: Je peux vous laisser mon mail. Si vous voulez. Le mail that's why. Right. Si vous voulez le donner, c'est oui. Oui. Mais vous écrivez que je ne parle que français.
1: So if you want to contact Bruno in French, mm. you can only write to Yes, only in no, French.
0: I can write in English, but. Yeah. So, uh, Bruno 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 Bordon on LinkedIn and there you can definitely find him. So did I. And if you're interested in meeting with him or texting or whatever, go for it. He's a very interesting man. And thanks for answering my questions. Merci beaucoup. Merci. And to you, thank you for the translation.
1: You're welcome. I was tired at the end.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Translating is a hard business. I know. I know. I know.
1: It's a good. It's a good exercise for the for the brain, but it's exhausting. À la fin, oui. oui. Oui, j'avais du mal à la fin
0: là. I hope that not so much was lost in translation as we had quite some language troubles here. I mean, I do speak a little French and he does speak a little English, but it was not sufficient enough uh, to do the podcast and uh, yeah, you al- always have uh uh Gap, a language gap that goes on. Uh, but I thought it was quite an interesting take to ask somebody who has such a rich perspective on the history of Bordeaux about uh, what can be done right or wrong with current hot topics. Because uh, it happens to me, or it seems to me, that many people who discuss current topics often forget to take a look into history and to see okay uh, how have the older generations how have other people reacted in comparable situations and uh, this is what I try to bring up I uh, hope it worked in whatever way and if you enjoy conversations like these please do not forget to share this with a friend thank you